Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is John Wolf. Um, for those of you who weren't here the last time I spoke, the first time a month ago, um, I'm here in Beijing uh, with, with Boeing on assignment, uh, about two years into a, a five-year assignment, along with my, my wife and three of our kids. And then uh, we have two kids back in Seattle attending the University of Washington. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be up here, um, though I will freely confess that in the flesh, this is the last place I would want to be, up in front of all of you, many of you whom don't, who don't know me uh, speaking. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not my comfort zone. But, but it is a true pleasure because, uh, because of that, because I know that each time I come up here, I come with, at the most, that five loaves and two fish that, uh, that I get to see God work. And, and I know that he can work um, in me and through me. Um, he, he, can make, he can make much of very little. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. But uh, I come with a, a very full heart uh, this morning. Um, a full heart from the worship this morning. Thank you, worship team, for allowing God to use you in, in that way, being his instruments for us. I was raised up into the heavenly realms uh, in that worship, so it's much appreciated. But also a, a full heart um, because this, last, this past week I was visiting my dad in Seattle. Um, he was, my dad's 89 years old, coming up uh, soon on 90 at the end of this month. Um, he was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, and he's uh, you know, physically a shell of, of what he was not so very long ago. I think in the past... Uh, Four or five months, he's lost about 50 pounds as the cancer is just eating away at him. But my heart is actually full in a, in a positive way because as I spent time with him, I, I saw um, his peace, you know, facing this very difficult time of his life. He's full, he was full of peace. And you know, sometimes when you go to comfort someone and you end up being comforted, and that was, this was an experience like that. And it, it just left me full of thanksgiving for, for God um, and the strength that he's giving my dad and the perspective um, that, that he's able to go beyond his circumstances, not just, you know, focus inward on his discomfort and his pain, um, but looking for the interests of others, he was gregarious and, uh, you know, telling, telling a lot of stories. I learned a lot of things about my dad that I didn't know this past week, and I was very blessed by that, so I was very thankful. Let's, uh, let's open with prayer again. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Um, thank you, Lord, that, that you want us to know you, that you make yourself known to us. Lord, we, 
acknowledge our, our complete dependence upon you this morning. Lord, we come uh, wanting each one of us in our heart of hearts uh, to meet with you. We want to see you face to face, Lord. We want to hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, prepare our hearts to do just that, to hear your voice, to hear your word uh, for each one of us. And then, Lord, um, to take that word and have it grow up and bear fruit within our lives as we live out this week and these next months and years. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know who Eutychus is? Raise of hands. A few. Yeah. He's an interesting character. I mean, he, he got his name in Scripture for a very unusual reason. Um, Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, was in Troas, and he was about to head on uh, to another place, but he had a lot to impart to them. And so, uh, so it says in, in Acts 20 that he spoke um, to them. It doesn't say when he started, but he spoke until midnight. And there's this young man named Eutychus who uh, was sitting on the windowsill, and he's getting sleepier and sleepier as the message goes along, and he, he fell asleep and fell off the windowsill from the third story and fell to the ground dead. And, and God, in his grace, allowed Paul to revive him, to bring him back to life. But the interesting part of the story is then Paul doesn't end there. <laughs> it, it says after they broke bread and prayed, then he continued to speak until daybreak. So I, I mentioned that because the last time I spoke, I went just a little bit long. So, uh, so I, wanna, I want you to have that perspective that if I go long, well, it's nothing compared to that. But seriously, so those, for those who were here the last time I spoke, this message is, uh, is really a continuation of the, uh, the previous message. I'm launching off from the, the same point. Um, so last time I spoke from Romans chapter 12, um, which starts with that, that great call um, in view of God's mercy to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then talked about how how when we do this, you know, subjecting our desires, our plans, our wills um, to God's desires for us, to his plans for us, to his will for us, and we put our trust fully in him and say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. When we do that day after day, the result is that, that God is able to work freely in us and through us. And the, the first result of that is that the, the body of Christ, the church, is built up and encouraged. And that's actually what I felt from my dad um, this past week. You know, as he, I felt like he was offering himself as a sacrifice and looking to others and not himself. And so he was making the choice to be encouraging rather than, than focused on his own pain and discomfort and, and everything else that he was facing. But when we do that, then the body of Christ is built up, and then also as a church, we can effectively shine God's light into the dark places around us. And, and they are truly dark, but God's light overwhelms the darkness through us when we each give ourselves up to him and let him work through us and in us. 
Uh, but from my perspective, and I mentioned this a little bit last time, the, uh, the key that opens all of this up is that first little phrase, in view of God's mercy. The more fully we comprehend in our heart of hearts the mercy that we've received from God through Christ, then the more willing we will be to place ourselves upon that altar as a living sacrifice day after day, and then to stay there. But I, I think it's very difficult for us to fully appreciate the mercy we've received in Christ, that we've been shown by God through Christ. Now, of course, uh, the reality is we'll never be able to fully appreciate that mercy until we meet our Savior face to face. On this side of heaven, we'll never fully understand what it is that we've been saved from. And we'll never fully understand what it is we're being saved to. But I also think that our appreciation of God's mercy can, can fade over time. And so my intent is just to, to give a reminder of that this morning. You know, as we struggle through life, we can start to take his, his mercy for granted. So today I'm hoping to give just, just a glimpse of the mercy we rece we've received in Christ so that we can take that home with us and meditate further upon it in prayer so that in the end we might be just a little bit quicker to offer ourselves up and say to the Lord, I'm yours, do with me what you will. I will put my trust in you. Um, but I'm not going to do that by looking through a bunch of passages um, in Scripture about God's mercy, and there, there are many. Um, I, I'm hoping you might be inclined to do that yourself um, afterwards, and, and uh, a couple suggestions if you want to pursue that further. Look, look again at Romans 5 and 6. There's so much in there. We talked uh, last week, I, mentioned, I mean last, uh, last month, I, I talked about Romans 5, 6, at just the right time when we we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But while we were still powerless, meaning we had no power in, in, our, in ourselves to save ourselves, it was only through Christ that we could receive this great gift of salvation. Another one, uh, Ephesians 2, um, verses 8 and 9 are, are well known in that, in that passage. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. And again, the point is that, it, that even that, that faith, putting our trust in Christ, that does not come from within ourselves. We are not capable of placing our trust in Christ. But that's a gift from God. And then another one I would recommend is Philippians 2, which was read, part of that was read this morning, talking about how Christ... Um, being God himself chose to humble himself and become a man, and not just a man, but a servant, and a servant all the way to the cross where he shed his blood for us. What a great salvation. But instead this morning, I'm going to share what I see as, as a picture of sorts of God's mercy from one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is Revelation 5. Now, if you were here through the summer, you might recall um, that Ian, as he was leading worship, he stepped us through this passage 
um, briefly one time. And when he did that, I was very blessed by it. And so that was part of the inspiration for, for diving into that a little bit further today. So thanks, Ian, for that. But before we go into the details of our passage, let's, let's just talk a little bit about how we should approach it. I think the, the book of Re- Revelation in general tends to intimidate us a bit to the point that many of us avoid it because there's so much that's not straightforward and simple in it as the rest of Scripture is, although there are obviously many difficult passages other than in the book of Revelation and Scripture. And of course, the other, the other error that some make is getting so carried up with speculation about all of the various details in, in the book of Revelation that it becomes a God in itself and it divides us. But I think in general, we tend to be intimidated by, intimidated by it, so we put it on the shelf. You know, our passage this morning is no exception. It's not, there aren't as many details and symbols as in the following chapters in the, in the book of Revelation, but there are some. And, and some of those details are not going to be immediately plain to us in their significance. And I'm not going to discuss them <laughs> in detail in general this morning. But, but if we give up on the book of Revelation and avoid it, I think we miss out tremendously. Um, this, this book was given to the church in, in, ti- in a time of intense persecution at the hands of Rome. And it contains a message of great, a great hope which extends to us today as well. As we face difficulties in life, which we all do, we need the hope that it offers. And our passage this morning is, is chock full of that hope. The book of Revelation reminds us that God has a plan for this world, and it's a plan for good. And he has a plan for each of us as well, individually, for our good. And that this plan is unfolding inexorably and will be carried out without fail. That's what we learn in the book of Revelation. God's kingdom is being ushered in, and he's dealing with all of the evil that is in this world through our sinfulness and will ultimately eradicate this evil, will be freed not just from the power of sin, but from the presence of sin itself. So if I do nothing else this morning than to to whet the appetite to look further into the book of Revelation, I'll consider that to be success, and I'll be content with that. But for me, and this is my perspective, you may have a different approach uh, to the book, But uh, for me, the key to appreciating the book is not to get bogged down in the details. Not trying to understand every symbol or image and what it might refer to. And then uh, not being able to see the forest for the trees. Because the forest is great. If we get bogged down in the details that are not important, we can't see that message of hope and encouragement, which is really screaming out at us through the book of Revelation. And I think that's the primary reason the book was given to the church. And I'm not saying when I say that that none of the details are important. They are. I'm just suggesting we just, that we need to be careful not to be bogged down um, by them. I think we need to approach the book of Revelation as a work of art in a sense. 
try to understand its key messages and not to analyze it under a mic microscope bit by bit and lose the big picture in the process. Um, to me, the book of Revelation paints a picture for us that we are to enter into and experience. And so we'll try to do that with our passage this morning, which we'll get to now. Um, but before we dive into Revelation 5, we need to back up just a little bit and, and set the context um, for, for chapter 5, which we find in chapter 4. So I'm, I'm not going to read through chapter 4, but I'll just step through some of the details there to, to set the scene. So in, in verse 1, um, John says that he is in the Spirit. He sees a door open, standing open in heaven, and a voice calls him, come up, and I will show you what must take place after this. So he's, he's in the Spirit. He sees the he sees the, a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And he describes, goes into a little description of, of what he sees representing God Almighty on the throne. And then uh, he talks about surrounding this throne. There are 24 other thrones, and seated on those are 24 elders, which... Uh, appear to be angelic beings. They're, they're, they're dressed in white and they have crowns of gold on their heads. And then, <laughs> appropriately for this morning, from the throne there come flashes of thunder and lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And then bef before the, the throne there are these seven lamps. There's a sea of, of glass that's clear as crystal. Um, and then in the center around the throne there are four living creatures and they're covered with eyes in front and in back. The first um, like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And day and night, these four living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then whenever the living creatures would give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, the 24 elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they, are, they were created and have their being. And so that's, that's the scene that we come to as we get to chapter 5. So let's, let's dive into chapter 5 now. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And, and so, so here's, here's one detail I will actually comment on, one of, the, one of the few as we go through this chapter. So seven, you'll run into that again and again uh, in the book of Revelation, the number seven. It's an important number uh, symbolizing completion and perfection, you know, hearkening back to the seven days of creation where it was complete and good. But uh, interestingly, number f the number seven appears 52 times in the book. So think of our calendar, 52 weeks in a year, seven days in a week. You know, I'm not going to insist that that's intentional, but, but what a picture of completion. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we see God's kingdom come to completion. So I could see that as being significant in the book. 
Verse 2, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So remember that our goal this morning is to enter into the story, enter into this scene and experience it, or at least begin to do so. So, so the question I have is, are we weeping with John? Why, why is he weeping? So there's no one found worthy to open the scroll, the seals. So, so I think he must be made to understand the significance of the scroll and its seals. We see that as we read through the book of Revelation as each of those seals is broken in turn. We come to understand um, that, that this is representing God's plan and purpose for this world unfolding as each of these seals is opened in turn and ultimately le- leading up to the consummation of God's kingdom on earth. And I just, I just want to quickly glance at the, the end or near the end and, and go to Revelation chapter 21 briefly. This is what it's all coming to. Starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He, was, he, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these things, these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I think John has a sense that this scroll, if it is not opened, if there's not one who's found worthy, All that we have in Christ is lost. That salvation we have in Christ is lost. So there's no one, there's no one found who is worthy to break the seals or open the scroll, and and that includes the mighty angel who says who is worthy. He's not worthy himself. So do we really understand, do we fully appreciate the salvation that we have in Christ, or do we take that for granted? Do we understand the utter hopelessness of life without Christ, without the cross? Being abandoned to our sin, leading to death and separation from God and all that is good forever, being excluded from his kingdom, do we appreciate that fully? that if there's not the one who was worthy to open the scroll. 
there's no hope. There's no life. Death still reigns. Sin still reigns. Evil still reigns. We were slaves to sin, according to Romans 6, for example, and had no power within ourselves to overcome it. Um, So here we need to weep with John, fully appreciating what it means to be lost and without hope in this world apart from Christ. We need to fully appreciate that before we can rejoice with him and fully enter into the worship that that we will see as the outcome, the appropriate response um, to the gift of of salvation through Christ. I think we also need to have this image before us as we consider our family member, our neighbor, or our co-worker who is without Christ. We need to weep for them. But we also need to appreciate what an incredible gift we have to offer them. We have light that can shine in their darkness. We can direct them to hope that overcomes the hopelessness in their lives. Or maybe you are the one without hope. You know, maybe you have not yet put your trust, your faith in Christ, the Lamb who was slain, so that you might be reconciled to God, saved from your sin. If that's the case, there's no better time than the present. So verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, referring to uh, back to Jacob's blessing of his sons at the end of Genesis, and specifically his, his blessing to Judah, 40, Genesis 49, 8-10 says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. And we know that this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And then there's that phrase, the, the root of David. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's father. From his, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then verse 10 in Isaiah 11, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Again, finding its fulfillment in Christ, ultimately. So just as we entered into the scene and wept with John when no one was found worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, let us, let us now join with him as he ceases to weep and begins to hope. As one is identified who is worthy to open the scroll, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And let's see how that unfolds in verse 6 and on. Verse 6 says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting image here, an interesting picture. You know, we've just been told the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. We, ex- we almost expect him to appear as this mighty lion, having won the victory. But instead, he appears as a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. So remember the Passover lamb, which was slaughtered and its blood applied to the doorposts by the Israelites in Egypt. So that during the original Passover, the plague of death, the angel of death would pass over and not bring death to that house as as he would to those who did not have the blood on their doorposts. And of course, this this foreshadowed Christ's sacrifice of himself on the cross winning the ultimate victory over, over sin and death. Then remember John the Baptist in John 1 exclaiming when he sees Jesus coming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now it's during the Passover celebration that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. We remember the Last Supper, of course. We remember that the beginning of every month as we take communion. But it was during the Passover celebration that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross. And I think it's significant too that it was at the ninth hour, which was the hour of the afternoon sacrifice, that Jesus called out from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. So the lamb takes the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb and worship. It says each one is holding a bowl full of incense, which it says says are the prayers of the saints. This is a bit of an aside, but I wonder how much we have contributed to that bowl. How much we've contributed to filling those bowls of incense, the prayers of the saints. I know I've contributed far too little, far too little but, but to me this is an image of the value of our prayers. They're kept in heaven. They're valuable in God's sight. But why is the Lamb of God found worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? In verse 9 it says, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So because he was slain and because with his blood he purchased men and women for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, that's why he's worthy 
And I, and I love this church because it's, it's a little bit of a picture of that. Every tribe and nation. Now, I don't think we represent all, but we represent more than most. And it's an encouraging sight. But we were slaves to sin again, leading to death. But we've been redeemed by his blood. Our freedom has been purchased. As it says elsewhere in Scripture, we were bought at a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. How great is salvation. So again, do we fully appreciate this salvation that we have in Christ? Or do we take it for granted? Does it lead us to fall down before the Lamb and worship along with the four living creatures and the 24 elders, offering up a sacrifice of praise for what he's done for us? So verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So picture that. Picture the thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels singing praises to the Lamb. Um, before we came to Beijing, um, we were at a small church in Camino Island, Washington. And they had a small choir, maybe 15 people normally. And, and some, some with voices that were a little bit maybe past their prime. They weren't what we, you would call strong voices. They were all good voices, but not all strong voices. But, but I remember many times listening to that choir and being lifted up into the heavenly realms with those 15 voices, maybe not hitting every note perfectly, maybe not the strongest of voices, but I was lifted up into the heavenly realms. So picture this when multiplied by thousands upon thousands with every voice strong beyond even what we can imagine and hitting every note perfectly. What a, what a glorious sight. What a salvation we've received. But even more important is what they're singing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He's worthy to receive everything that we have to offer. It's all from him anyway. It's not from within us. There's nothing good from within us. It all comes from him. He's worthy to receive our very selves and our proper response is to offer all of this up to him, to use according to his will for his purpose and for his glory. And, and think back, we didn't go through chapter 4, but think back to that image of the 24 elders as they, as they bowed down before God and, and cast their crowns before him. What, what is that image? They're saying, not... 
it's not me. I don't, the authority, the power is not within me. It's in you. I offer up my crown to you. I offer up everything that I have to you, and I give you glory and honor and praise. Do we offer ourselves up to God daily, saying, not my will, but yours be done? It's not an easy thing to do that. It's a scary thing to do that at times, because God will take us up on that, and he'll send us places we don't want to go. He'll ask us to do things we're not capable of. But he is capable of doing those things through us. He does not ask us without supplying what we need. Or do we say of ourselves, you know, I'm pretty worthy myself. Look what I've done. Look at the plans I have. They're good. They're good plans. Look at all the good I intend to do. Lord, would you bless that? That's, that's, not, that's not the right picture. <laughs> said, Lord, it's, it's Lord, your will be done. Whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me go, Lord, I trust in you. I know that, that I can accomplish nothing apart from you. So have we jo- joined the choir mentioned in verse 13? It says, it says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea joined in to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Do we fall down and worship with the 24 elders? Are we overwhelmed by this great gift of salvation that we've received? The gift of the kingdom, of sonship, of daughtership in God's family. Finally, do we worship the Lamb not only with our lips but also with our lives? Do we bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of a life subjected to our Lord? When the Holy Spirit prompts us to act, do we step out in faith? Even when being asked to do something that's clearly beyond our capabilities, do we step step out and say, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you asked me to do that, so that means you can do this through me, and I'll trust you to supply whatever is needed. May we do so more and more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, just, I pray you would give each of us a, a clearer picture of the salvation that we have in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to appreciate more the value of that precious blood of Christ that was shed for us so that we could move from death to life, from hopelessness to a hope that will be fully realized in Christ, from those going from being excluded from your kingdom, from your family, to be being included, not because of anything we've done, not because we deserved it, but because you made yourself known to us and you reached out and drew us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for that great gift. May we fully appreciate it and respond to it with obedience, with love toward our neighbor and toward you. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.